It's not too late to make someone's holiday season a special one. Start now as an Amazon delivery station warehouse associate to earn some extra money for the holidays. You'd help bring joy to thousands near you by preparing packages and loading them up for their final delivery. With night and early morning shifts available through the new year, you'd also have the flexibility to spend time with your loved ones. To start as a delivery station associate, go to Amazon.com slash holiday work. Amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer. up everybody welcome back to the mile high podcast coming to you from the mile high city and today we are talking about charles manson and the manson family mm-hmm. what a, a weird one. Oh yeah Wicked. get ready get ready if you don't know about this one you want to sure explain a lot of mile high do. city real quick yeah yeah the reason i said oh, that like in the what? beginning a lot of you are probably like wait what so we just got back from the UK, actually. And when we were there, we were telling people the name of our podcast and they looked at us like, what? Like, and then I realized if you don't live in Colorado, you probably don't know what mile higher is or why we say that. And we are saying that because we are recording here in Denver, Colorado, which is the mile high city. So we made this the mile higher podcast. So I figured I'd start saying that in the beginning, just so people actually know why that is the name of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a playoff of our hometown our home base. And it works because um, it's also about like making you more woke. Exactly. And it has multiple meanings, yeah. obviously. But I just kind of wanted to clarify that because, yes, we did just get back from the UK. So I wanted to apologize first for this episode being a little late. We had a just rough time getting back on the time schedule and everything. And then we live in the craziest state. Colorado is insane. Like Tuesday, it was super, super warm out. Like 75 degrees. Yeah. And then the next day, straight blizzard. <laughs> blizzard and the pressure changes really affect my chronic pain and i was just i could not even like stand up i was i was crying in bed it was really bad and i feel so much better today and it's sunny and beautiful today it's it's insane so i decided to wait until today to record I, I hope you guys understand that. And the reason we don't pre-record is because we do try to have the most current events. Like, for example, we're going to be talking a little bit about Julian Assange today. That happened today. So, like, we the try to... Inc- yeah, exactly. Yesterday. Exactly. Yeah. We try to record as close to, like, the actual date as possible that we upload. Um, so that's why we don't pre-record. And yes, sorry about the delay, you guys. I really, really appreciate you guys understanding you know, it's hard to get used to this kind of unpredictable health issues. It's just been, it's been a real bitch. Yeah, I but mean, we're at the end of the day, out. we're doing our best and yeah. that's all, you know, we can do. So, yeah. But yeah. I wanted to quickly just say that we're going to make a minor schedule change to yes. um, our uploading schedule. So right now, typically we upload, you know, the video on YouTube as well as the audio on Mondays. But what we're actually going to start doing um, coming this coming week is we're going to put the audio up on on Mondays and then on Wednesdays we'll put up the YouTube video. Um, it'll just give me some extra time to edit the the video version and make it better. Make it better and just yeah we're trying to you know up the game a little bit with the the content just just try to make it a little bit better visually and things like that. So um, that's kind of the um, reason we're doing that. And then also I wanted to mention that we've created a new YouTube channel called 
mile higher highlights, which is going to be essentially a channel where we put it you know, just shortened be like mile versions of highlights, though, right? Mile highlights? Yeah. No, that's weird. That, no? Nobody knows. It's got to be <laughs> higher, man. Okay, fine. Nobody will know. <laughs> but anyways, on this channel, we're going to be putting all of our like news topics and short videos because I know some of you just like to skip to the main topic for the episode. And mm-hmm. that's awesome. And maybe later on you want to go watch, you know, you know, the other topics that we we talked about in the episode and, and now you'll be able to on the YouTube channel and as well as just like funny moments, things like that. Or if you guys you know, clip some and send it to us and, you know, maybe we put those up too. So, um, yeah, so I'll put the links for the mile higher highlights YouTube channel in the description for you guys. Definitely go check it out and subscribe and I'll be putting up videos there, uh, this week. So that is that now let's go ahead and jump into our, our first subtopics for today. Um, obviously one of the biggest news stories in the past couple of weeks has been the, uh, murder of Nipsey hustle, yes. um, the Grammy nominated rapper, um, who was shot dead in front of his Los Angeles clothing store on March 31st. Now, and for example, like we wouldn't have been able to talk about this if we had pre-recorded this episode before we went to the UK. Yeah. And and, and that's what makes us different from a lot of other podcasts that, that just, you know, mm-hmm. do like one thing we in, try in a to case. We do this and, news thing. Yeah. Otherwise, um, yeah, hell yeah. We'd pre-record like a bunch of them and just yeah. have them, you know, <laughs> yeah, chillax exactly. for, you know, most of the time. But no, yeah, we have to do it as close to live as we can, but yeah, go ahead. Continue. What were you saying? What was I saying? Oh, just that if we record it before we went to the UK, which we didn't even explain why we went there. I bet our UK fans are like, wait, what? We were in the UK very briefly. We were in London and Scotland filming YouTube videos. So you will see videos coming to my channel. Just wanted to explain that. But anyways, back to Nipsey. So Nipsey, he was a Grammy nominated rapper. A lot of us, you know, I'm a hip hop fan. I love rap and, you know, I never listened to a ton of Nipsey Hustle. I've maybe heard a song or two of his, so I'm not all that familiar with him as an artist or his music. But from what I know about him, and obviously I've known of him, um, he was a really uh, pretty good dude. And he established himself in the community, did a lot of great work, um, charitable acts, um, including opening a STEM center and and just, you know, helping out people that lose loved ones, giving out shoes to children. Speaking out um, against gang violence. Yeah, exactly. And very much about, you know, uplifting his community, which is great. But yeah, yeah. he was he was murdered in cold blood uh, by suspect Eric Holder. And uh, yeah, so the reason why we're talking about this is not only because, you know, he was murdered, but also a conspiracy has, you know, arisen. arisen. Is that even a word? Arisen? Yeah. Right. Has just risen. I guess a conspiracy theory about his death has risen. That sounds weird. Arisen. Arisen? Arise? Oh my God. (laughs) I'm looking it up. But anyway, so this conspiracy with Nipsey Hussle, obviously this was the talk of the internet. Arisen. um, The last two weeks. And basically the conspiracy is based on this idea that the U.S. government executed Nipsey Hussle in order to silence his upcoming documentary on an individual named Dr. Sebi, Mm -hmm. who's a Honduran herbalist whose real name is Alfredo Bowman. Now, some people believe that Hustle was killed by the government because he was trying to shed light on what Dr. Sebi was doing before his own mysterious death. So this is, you know, interesting and definitely a bit fishy, especially since we've seen other, um, you know, naturopath doctors like this kind of have some mysterious deaths and and whatnot. So basically the premise is that Dr. Sebi has a cure for AIDS and HIV among other diseases and the 
you know, big pharma and the government are trying to keep this, you know, cure and information from coming to light into the public. So this conspiracy believes that he was murdered in a, you know, basically assassination plot by, by the government because they don't want this cure to come out, which right now there's absolutely no evidence that I found that shows any indications that this was the case or that the government took Nipsey hustle out because we know who the suspect was and he has no connection with the government or anything like that. So, and it's not uncommon for there to be violence like that over personal beef or gang related stuff in that, that area. So I still feel like there's like more to the story though. I'd like to know more about this Eric Holder guy. Like, why would he do that? It was over. It was like a personal beef that they had. Yeah. Like they were just like fighting. So he admitted to it. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah, pretty much. And then he shot two other people too. Oh my God. Yeah. He got pissed off about something. I don't know the nature of the conversation that they had, but then he just was like pow, pow. And then yeah, just right there. What was that again? Pow, pow. Bang, bang. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Pow, pow. (laughs) (laughs) So when talking about Dr. Sebi for a minute, because this is the main conspiracies is around him. um, Basically, on May 28th of 2016, Dr. Sebi was arrested at Juan Manuel Galvez International Airport in Honduras carrying some $30,000 in cash. Mm. He was released pending a court hearing only to be rearrested June 3rd by the Honduras version of the FBI and charged with money laundering. Dr. Sebi remained in custody until August 6th, 2016, when he was rushed to a local hospital, reportedly suffering from complications of pneumonia. And he died en route to the hospital and he was 82. Mm-hmm. So this was a couple years ago. So people think he was like killed on, in the ambulance. That's what Nipsey Hussle believes. That's what he believed. Okay. Believes that this was like a targeted attack on him because Nipsey Hussle believed that he really did have this cure for AIDS. you know AIDS. And, and so I don't know. It's, it's pretty interesting. And I mean, when looking at this guy a little bit further, Dr. Sebi, he's a self-educated man. He's not an actual doctor. Um, but he spent like 30 years studying plants and natural path, pathic medicine, things like the herbalist. So, um, he developed this, you know, unique methodology for, you know, using all of these natural compounds and things to essentially fix your body. And he has a website where you can buy like, they're like supplements. It's called Dr. Sebi's It's supposed to like, yeah, all of these different things are supposed to essentially heal your body like and heal yourself hmm, maybe i should try it yeah and i mean a lot of people look at it and are like but he's charging like mad money like to get the full set for well i'm sure the ingredients are really high quality yeah i mean that's but, the reality is the healthy like the nutrients that we need to be at our like full potential as humans like which no one's pretty much at um, it's so like you'd have the amount of money you have to spend to be healthy is like true. crazy, especially if you're going to do it with supplements and stuff like that. It's expensive. The ingredients and no, stuff. No, absolutely. And if you have rare herbs and, you know, things that you have, you can only get small amounts of. Yeah. It makes sense that it would be expensive. Yeah. But from a skeptic's perse- uh, perspective on Dr. Sebi, they think he was kind of like a scammer type dude that none of these things had any scientific backing for them helping or doing anything. Why so, would this guy be a scammer? Well, not like, a scammer, but just taking advantage of this, you know, 
Did he like go live in a mansion and stuff? No. He I looks mean, like a pretty humble, chill guy. I was yeah. just trying to like you know, help people with natural remedies, but that's just my take on it. No. I guess I don't know much about him. No. So this is interesting now. So Nipsey Hussle was on food. the uh, breakfast club radio show and he talked about his documentary uh, documentary on Dr. Sebi. And this is what he had to say. Quote, I am working on a, doing a doc on the trial in 1985 when Dr. Sebi went to trial in New York because he put in the newspaper that he cured AIDS. He beat the case then he went to federal court the next day and he beat that case, but nobody talks about it, he said. While this may sound outlandish, it is based in truth. In 1985, Dr. Sebi was running ads in several publications saying that AIDS had been cured. Wow. And, and when the New York State attorney instructed him to stop the ads, he went to court. And in court, Dr. Sebi said he had cured every single one of his patients who received his treatment. So the judge asked him to bring just one of those patients in as evidence. And Dr. Sebi brought in 77 of his healed wow. patients and won the case. Well, damn, there's some evidence right there. It's doing something. Yeah, clearly. Doing something, yeah. I mean, 77 people vouch for him. Hmm. So the question, I mean, there it's not whether or not the conspiracy itself is true. It's whether or not this conspiracy is like connected to his death. Right. Like that's where the like kind of skepticism comes in, I guess. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. cause I think a lot of people understand that the pharmaceutical industry is like extremely fucked right. up and, and probably, yeah. yeah. Like maybe not everyone believes they're straight up hiding, uh, cures and stuff. But like, I think most people at least believe that there's some fuckery going on. Well, yeah. Cause I mean, they can only make money if people are sick. So, right. So, th- so it's really whether or not that had anything to do with him connect the connection yeah. between his, his him working on a documentary and the, and the yeah. right and okay. his involvement with Dr. Sebi essentially. Well, it's interesting that Nick Cannon like right away posted like right after it yeah, happened, I'm going to do this for pick you. Up the baton. Yeah. And it was continue. almost like he thinks that that's what happened. Oh, I think he hundred percent does. And I think Nipsey hustle obviously believed in this conspiracy with big farm and stuff. Mm to the point that he was wanting to expose this information and yeah, you know, he all of a sudden gets shot and killed in front of a store randomly yeah, seemingly. So interesting. I, I understand why people are asking questions and I think it's good to ask questions because yeah, there we don't, I feel like we don't have the whole story here mm-hmm. as far as why, like why would this dude just do this and maybe randomly would know over more. personal beef or whatever. So it's like, right. And, and he's not really, I don't think was involved with a lot. Of, well, I guess I can't say that. I know he was really involved with gangs for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he may have even still been connected to one. I mean, I'm sure he has friends that are affiliated probably. But he was working at the same time on anti gang projects and stuff. He was doing that kind yeah. of stuff. In and the I mean, he has contacts with that. But yeah, I guess you and can he have famous. beef years later. I mean, who knows? But yeah, it is kind of interesting to think about, like, if his own friends think that. So I, I think maybe once we see this finished documentary, if Nick Cannon really does this and puts it out, that would probably maybe answer some of our questions or just kind of see if that theory holds anything. Because yeah, like people would say, even if they do have a guy who's saying it's it is that he did it and everything that's not necessarily proof that he didn't have a reason for doing it and stuff. It's I don't true. Know. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. I think it's more likely that it was not connected to this theory, but I'm just, you know, you never know. Crazier things have happened. Right. I mean, that's what it comes back to is you have to remember all of these things that the government has done that we have proved, have confirmed. Yeah. Look at MK ultra, which we'll talk about a little bit today. Like, 
that's one of those things. Oh, and they've they taken people out and, for sure. There's like examples of, there are so many different people that have like come up with inventions and come up with things that get mysteriously right, yeah. died. Especially energy. Yeah. D- energy stuff. Mm-hmm. Like the, wa- the guy who made the cars run on water. Mm-hmm. Da- dead. Tons of people like that. Mysteriously die. Yeah. So, it's very interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully Definitely nothing happens to Nick Cannon. If yeah. He's like, no, I know. Craziness. But that's, I mean, that shit's coming out no matter what though. Like, I don't think that's kind of where the theory gets a little like that's going to, obviously someone else was going to finish it. Does taking him out right. completely no. stop? It's like almost not even no, worth somebody it. Somebody else would pick up the, exactly the documentary. Yeah, yeah, no, it, right. So there's a lot of things that you can be like, yeah, is it just kind of a coincidence type of mm-hmm. thing or is it, there really a connection there? Mm-hmm. But another thing to think about, about it. another thing though, to think about is if he was doing this documentary, he was probably doing hella research and like talking to people and whistleblowers and stuff. And he may have found out about something that it's true. He, you know, that we may, may not know part of this puzzle that doesn't make sense to us because he may have known about something that people wouldn't want, you know, him to expose in this documentary. I don't know. It's just a thought. It's really hard because there's the evidence, you know, like right. when it comes to believing in something, there's got to be could, evidence. Could, could, yeah. So I, I can't definitively take a side. I have to remain open and be like, yeah, maybe. Same, same. Yeah. But then on the flip side, there's no evidence that he had a cure for AIDS that we know of or any well, sort the of fact published that 77 people. Right. But there's a lot of people that there's also something called placebo effect, things like that, where there's a well, lot yeah. of instances of people who are like, I'm a doctor, I'm a healer. Yeah. And no, totally. And I barely know anything about this guy. So I'm, I'm certainly not sitting here like, yes, Dr. Sebi. But like, I, I really want to see the documentary that Nick Cannon does before I really decide like what I think about all this. Yeah, absolutely. But it's pretty interesting. And I had no idea who Nipsey Hussle was personally. I don't, I don't know enough. Like I, I like rap, but I don't know a lot of like smaller rappers, honestly. So yeah, I had no idea. Just, I had never heard yeah. of him. So this whole thing, and I'd never heard of Dr. Sebi. So this is all new to me for sure. Yeah. It's really interesting. And Dr. Sebi um, actually worked with Michael Jackson. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But actually he ended up suing him because um, Michael Jackson sued him or yeah, Dr. Dr. Sebi sued Michael Jackson. Oh, so he's the type of dude that would sue someone. Mm-hmm. Huh. All right. Well, yeah. Like I said, I certainly don't know enough about him. <laughs> yeah. So I don't we'll know. We'll keep an eye on that, we'll though. See. We might like, I mean, depending on how that episode goes or if more comes out, maybe we'll end up doing like an episode on it. Who knows? I don't know. That's crazy. If there's enough. That's the thing. Because as the old saying goes, there's no money in the cure, only sickness. Interesting. So why they wouldn't want a cure to come out. Right. Which when you think about all that, you're like, ah, what a big moral problem we have. Oh yeah. We got a lot of moral problems. A lot of moral problems. (laughs) But a really interesting uh, thing that happened. We just saw our first ever direct image of a black hole, ladies and gentlemen. This is so cool. It really is. It's very, very cool. Like they took all these telescopes collectively to capture this image. Yes. And the image that we're looking at is so old. It's like 525 million years old. Yeah. Or 55, sorry, 55 million light years away. So we're looking at this image like millions and millions, millions of years in the past. When, uh, when you think about that and how trippy it is. And if you haven't seen how many, how long in the past, uh, 55 or 55 million light years away. So if you think about 
the time right. between here and there is a lot. So I wonder how much you don't know how long exactly. Uh, if I thought I saw it was like 525 million years or something like that, I, I could oh, be that's wrong. That's crazy. Cause isn't it? The sun is like eight minutes, right? Eight minutes. Yeah. I've, I thought like the sunlight is shining. The sunlight you feel oh, was yeah. like well, shining eight minutes is, ago. This is in a totally different galaxy. I this know. Is, so obviously this is way farther. Yeah, so it's yeah. going to be a lot longer. So right. I was comparing it to that. Years. I know. I know. That's why I was asking you. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> But if you haven't seen the image, it basically looks like a blurry orange coffee stain. And in the middle is the shadow of the black hole because it's we fucking can't... freaky. Yeah, it, is. it really is. It's like a donut of death because we can't actually see the black hole itself because it's immense gravity doesn't allow any detectable radiation to escape. So it appears as an opaque space. And this is a super massive black hole. Like this is a huge, huge fucking black hole. Yeah. So it's the first time we've seen it. We didn't even really know for sure if they even existed. So the fact that we've now like 100% confirmed that these black holes existed and are out there yeah. is truly just trippy. I and know. if I wish Einstein was still alive because he'd be like overjoyed oh, yeah. hearing that he was correct. And that's what's so interesting is he predicted how these black holes would work, how they would like bend space time and all these God. different things through theory of relativity. That dude, I'm telling you, that dude tapped into something else, man. Or like, yeah. Some other information. I mean, to someone know, tapped into him. Yeah. To know literally the makeup of the universe and how it works. And, and to be right about it holes. back then. My God. It's crazy. Can you, oh, my gosh. I was thinking about like how boring life must be to people who are that smart. Well, I guess in a way it's more entertaining for them because they're like smarter. But like I was just thinking like how how does someone like. Einstein do how would they like be entertained by the things that I'm entertained by like TV and shows and things like that or you know music I feel like you'd just be like everything is so underneath you everything in life everyone <laughs> like no one understands the complexity brilliant. of your brain mm-hmm. does that make sense like I feel like you'd be constantly like it's probably analyzing everything yeah though. and yeah. thinking like wow I'm surrounded by dummies oh yeah oh yeah he's like I I'm over imagine. here calculating space time and these guys are yeah can't even figure out how to send a letter. Yeah. And meanwhile, it wasn't even that long before that, that people thought like the sun was the center of the universe or that the earth. I mean, the, was sorry, flat. that's what I meant. Yeah. The earth was the center of the universe. It's really crazy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, it's really crazy. And, and one of the things I thought was really cool too, about this image is that if you, I, I love the movie interstellar, as you probably know, in you've only the, said it like 800 times. Oh, I know, but, you know, <laughs> So the actual image of the black hole, obviously you can't see the black hole, but what the the orange thing you're seeing is actually called the event horizon. So it's like, you know, the point of no return. So once you go like through the event horizon, there's no coming out because you're getting sucked into the black hole. But that's actually what you're seeing in the image. And in interstellar, they go into a black hole and they enter into the event horizon and it looks crazy it just looks so similar to the actual image. Like, and they didn't know what it would look like. So they just kind of based it off of, you know, what we've theorized and they got it pretty close to be honest. And if you're looking at this, it, it, it does, it's like a big lighted, you know, light up ring with, you know, an opaque middle, almost like an eye. Yeah. Which is cool. So I don't know. It's really interesting that we're able to look at these things and I guess it's good that we can now, figure out where they are so we make sure we never go into one doesn't that freak you out though thinking about that 
a super massive black hole can literally like i'm pretty sure like eat us suck in like an entire like solar system or galaxy like they can i don't know we don't even know the full extent of what a black hole could do or where do they go yeah do they just destroy does it just anything enters it just gets completely obliterated and that's it or is it a wormhole to another universe or something like that's what i hope it is maybe we can fly something into it and then pop out and all of a sudden we're in this other you know far away galaxy or universe where that's everything like is one completely tricky gamble to do like we're either gonna <sighs> go to a somewhere else in space or we're gonna fucking die in this black hole like let's send some dudes in and find out seriously eventually we're gonna do it like there will be people that are like the first to go through a black hole in yeah i mean hopefully we're gonna need some serious help before we we make it to that but yeah yeah i mean in interstellar matthew mcconaughey was just just went right in there yeah he's like see you guys bye that was such a oh i love that scene it's It's, trippy it's so trippy Ah. because then you start bending dimensions so freaky it makes my stomach like hurt oh it's weird so Black yeah holes are crazy they are crazy and also i just saw today um you know we're talking about black holes and seeing one and the israelis are landing a lunar on the moon to, today like tonight oh, live streaming cool yeah. we should watch it everybody's all of a sudden like heading back to space getting to the moon yeah there's a lot of there's space gonna be activity. a bunch of mm-hmm. shit happening there but guys let's let's get into charles manson and this wacko crazy cult leader serial killer devil basically and we'll touch more on i mentioned we were going to talk about julian assange so i oh, didn't yeah, know yeah. you decided it's probably going to take too long to talk about him as well so we'll talk about it next he was week arrested. when yeah and we'll right now that's next week. yeah that's the whole story for now um so yeah yeah brb well, with that one yeah but before we get into manson want to thank our sponsors for today all right we're back now let's jump into Mr. Charles Manson. So Mr. Charles Manson was born on November 12th, 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio to a woman named Kathleen Maddox. And what's crazy is his mom Maddox never gave the little guy a name. In fact, no name was on his birth certificate. It actually said no name Maddox, which is so strange because I mean, I guess in a way parents could decide not to name their kid on the day because they want to like, get to know them as a baby and then name them kind of like I'm doing with my rabbit. I want to like feel it out before I for sure name her. But like, but you know, this was on what she was doing. No, no, that's not what Kathleen Maddox was doing. This was, and I feel like that's such a sad thing to learn about yourself as a child to find out that your birth certificate says fucking no name Maddox. Can you imagine? You'd be like, wow, you didn't even love me enough to to name me. Like you didn't even think about my name. Like it just shows how much she gave a shit about him, which she literally didn't want him at all. Mm -mm. She won. She didn't want a child. She didn't want to have any responsibility. I feel like this podcast should be called like childhood, childhood, (laughs) childhoods end up in fuckery because that is literally what happens. And it's so sad. Like most of these people. And again, I don't have, there's a difference between having sympathy and empathy for someone. And in a lot of ways I have, I feel bad for Charles Manson, even though he was such, he ended up being such a bad, bad guy. But like, it's kids like this who end up You don't so control up. where you end up in your childhood or yeah. who you're born to yeah. or the situation you you're born into. You can't control if you're named fucking right. no name at first. How awful. Literally, you're treated like you don't exist. Then yeah, I mean, you're going to be coming out of the womb pissed off and mad at the world. Yeah. I mean, it's just to be expected. I feel like. Yes. If your mom literally doesn't give a shit about you, didn't want to parent you. And what's crazy is that she didn't care about him 
so much that when she was working as a waitress, um, her mom suggested or <laughs> she asked or somebody basically made a joke like, you know, a pitcher of beer and he's yours. Or I think that's what she said. And to somebody to like a patron, like to yeah. take Charles and she and somebody was like, oh, yeah, sure. And kind of like laughingly. And she left his ass there, just straight up left him at Dude, the table. That's crazy. And his aunt and uncle had to come and retrieve him. And he was just a baby at this time. He was probably, she probably, yeah, she thought he, she was dead ass serious. Oh my gosh. So, and at this time, Kathleen, his mom was only 16 when she oh, had him. Geez. And as far so as we young, know, man, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's tough. Hard. Teen mom is not easy, but yeah, at the and same especially time, when it's like your dad, the dad doesn't stay in the picture. Yeah. Colonel Scott was his name. Colonel Walker Scott, I believe is his name. So he was just like. Can we uh, it, just, why is there no R in the word Colonel? That drives me insane. I know. Isn't it weird how it's spelled and how it's, it's like pronounced? Colonel, but then yeah. it's Colonel. Yeah. <laughs> Who <laughs> decided that? I know. <laughs> what a bad fucking word. Yeah. But things were really rough for little Manson from the start. <laughs> little Manson. Little, I, I'm going to refer to You called him, him like Mr. Manson and little Manson. <laughs> <laughs> little Savage Man Manson is his Savage official Manson. name. Because he was a little guy. Like he was. Five foot two as an adult. Yeah, so he he's had really some little short. Syndrome for sure. I mean, definitely, definitely. He's like my height almost. So obviously, growing up wasn't easy. His mom was a prostitute. She also struggled with alcoholism, and so little Manson spent a lot of time <laughs> living with his aunt and uncle in West Virginia, who were living in like a small town, super religious. In fact, they like took him to church and stuff. Yep. Which he fucking hated. Yep, hated. <laughs> which. I, I think the reason why a lot of people hate church, especially if you've never been to church before, is because it's structured and a lot of times you're kind of like controlled through what mm-hmm. you're supposed to do and what you're going to sing and blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so if him coming from like complete craziness, being thrown into a church is not always a good recipe for success. Yeah, so no structure to like to a lot of it. To be like, all right, you got to sit down, you got to be quiet. Because I would see kids in church as like a kid that like clearly had never been to church before. And they're just like out of control, pissed off. Like, <laughs> yeah. And you can just tell that they were not there because like most of sitting all quiet and like me, you know, being respectful and stuff like little, <laughs> little good kids. But that wasn't Manson, man. So he actually loved his other uncle on the other side of his family. And Charles actually talks a lot about how his uncle told him not to go to school and that it was a complete waste of time. And so at nine years old, he set the school on fire. Yeah. And he literally, the clip of him saying it is so fucking funny. He's like, so I set the school on fire. Like, it's insane. He, yeah, he literally was insane though. Yeah. hundred percent psychopath, I would say. Oh yeah. Sociopath. Yeah. So as he got older, he, he was placed in home away boys schools. And after 10 months, he ran away to go find his mom, but she didn't want him back. She would no. completely wanted nothing to do with him mm-hmm. and he really struggled with this and because his mother was a complete mess he had a ton of anger towards her and there's a lot of footage out there of him talking about how much he hates his mom and how she was nothing but a liar to him and because of his childhood he considered himself a street child how's he say he's like i was a street child his whole accent is so weird his yeah, like, like little- kind of like He's so performy when he talks like yeah. I can, it's always these people that are like you can see how people got charmed by them. He's kind of like similar to like Jim Jones in a way. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. Um, 
Ted Bundy uh, even like yeah him too but like even um other the dude that started L. Scientology L. yeah L. Ron, L. Ron Hubbard, Hubbard. Th- these people Absolutely. have like these strangely likable qualities about them and the way they talk they're so confident in what they say that you almost like question you know he and he did talk like that. He was very like assertive about it and like yeah he absolutely I was a straight child or, yeah. mad confidence yeah mad mm-hmm. confidence in himself like his interviews his he was knowledge. loving it oh yeah he eats. was like this is more of a biography of my life like yeah yeah eat it up yeah he was loving it mm-hmm. so yeah so basically he's like put it into a bunch of different schools and he continues running away he's like fuck school I don't want anything to do with this so you know I'm gonna start committing some crimes here and at this point you know he's still like a teenager growing up and he's already, you know, committing crimes like breaking into grocery stores, stealing a bike. And then as he, as time went on, he committed even more serious crimes. He actually started doing armed robberies and eventually he was sent to the Indiana school for boys, boys town, uh, which he was only there for like a couple days. And then he ran away from that. I was like, what was the point of sending him to these places? And how was he able to just like run away and like get away from these places so easily? So he did claim though that he was raped while he was in this school, but there's obviously no, Proof, but I mean, it could have happened for sure. I, I don't doubt it. And I mean, Mm-mm. again, he was a small guy. Yeah, he was a little guy, and I'm sure he probably got picked on growing up and like beat up, and I'm sure it was rough. I'm sure it was rough for him, and he probably didn't help himself. He probably was like instigating stuff. I'm yeah. sure. You know, I'm sure right. he'd fight back if somebody like oh tried yeah. to pick on him. He'd be like, oh yeah, he's not the type to just like sit stay there and cool. take it. No. no. So as time went on. Manson continued to rob gas stations and even started stealing cars. And eventually psychiatrists recommended that he be moved from the national training school for boys to the natural bridge honor camp, a minimum security institution. So in October, 1951, he was transferred there. His aunt visited him and told administrators she would let him stay at her house and would help him find work. Charles had a parole hearing scheduled for February, 1952. However, in January, he was caught raping a boy at knife point. Because of this, Charles was transferred to the Federal Wait. Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. Raping? Yeah, dude, he definitely. Oh, wow. I didn't know he was doing that already at this point. He then went on to commit a further eight serious disciplinary offenses, three involving homosexual acts. He Jeez. was then moved to a maximum security reformatory in Ohio, where he was expected to remain until his 21st birthday in November 1955 crazy so clearly like yeah and i mean i I think he was probably like sexually abused at some point clearly like he he had a really rough childhood and who knows what could have really happened to him Mm -hmm. i mean he could have had some shit done to him but you know when it's always people that are hurt that hurt others you know Mm -hmm. know, you've heard that like it's always the people that are you know right in pain that inflict pain onto other people and Mm -hmm. there's a reason for that Mm -hmm. so uh that's that's terrible. But while he was in prison, he learned how to be a quote unquote model citizen and how to have really good behavior, which this was the reason he got an early release in May 1954, where he went to live with his aunt and uncle in West Virginia, because I, th- I think prison and as we'll find throughout his life was a, honestly a good thing for him because it provided him that structure that normal society did not have for him. And but yeah, I think, yeah, I, I agree. And I've heard that said so many times, like in documentaries that it was good for him. But Which, I think in a lot of ways, like it was, I mean, he was treated like an animal in prison a lot of the time. And he, and he never really like got to experience freedom and 
true. But he he seemed to thrive in there. It's that's true. He seemed to do better in prisons than out of prisons mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, he was. He, he I think he was just probably more comfortable there because he was around other people with similarities to him and probably things he could connect with people on that he couldn't connect with just like some normal people in society. Right. A lot of other people that may have been, you know, abused or whatever as a child or had the similar childhood that he had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think like to your point, I think prison provides, you know, provides those, um, you know, standards and, you know, models to help people that are like on the opposite side of the spectrum as far as, you know, behavior and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a cap to that, obviously. Right. And I think honestly, prisons makes people worse in a lot of cases. Yeah. And I um, think it could have doesn't rehabilitate like they say. No. And I think part of his making a cult had to do with him being in prison, you know, like wanting power over other people since he was like so controlled himself mm-hmm. like he wanted to be the boss of other people so, i don't know so charles manson actually got married in january 1955 to a hospital waitress named rosalie jean willis it was hard for charles to keep a job and he spent a lot of time stealing cars and driving across the country committing random crimes in different states around october about three months after he and his pregnant wife arrived in los angeles in a car he had stolen it in ohio Manson was again charged with a federal crime for taking a stolen vehicle across state lines. And that's what's so crazy is he literally career criminal. I mean, just had no idea how to do things the right way or how to, again, it comes back to like, did he really learn how to be a model citizen in jail? Obviously not. If he comes out and he's just committing crimes like straight off the bat. Exactly. Cause that's what, what all he knows. So after he was arrested for that, He was given a psychiatric evaluation and was given five years probation. However, his failure to appear at a Los Angeles hearing on an identical charge filed in Florida resulted in his March 1956 arrest in Indianapolis. His probation was revoked and he was sentenced to three years in prison at Terminal Island, San Pedro, California. While Manson was in prison, Rosalie gave birth to their son, Charles Manson Jr. during his first year at Terminal Island. Manson received visits from Rosalie and his mother who were now living together in Los Angeles. That's interesting. In March, 1957, when the visits from his wife seized, his mother informed him Rosalie was living with another man. Great. Now he's got a cheating wife. And then less than two weeks before a scheduled parole hearing, Manson tried to escape by stealing a car. He was given five years probation. His parole was denied. Charles and his wife ended up getting divorced in 1958. So again, just I feel like he literally had one thing after another just happened to him. That was just negative. Yes. In every way. And then just end back up. It was pretty bumpy. And just like a carousel through jail, like Mm, around and around he goes in and Mm -hmm. out of jail in and out of the system. Like so many people, you know, the chances of you going back in once you've been there is pretty Mm -hmm. high. So in September of 1958, Charles Manson received five years parole, and by November, he was pimping a 16-year-old girl and was receiving additional support from a girl with wealthy parents. That's fucked up. And yeah, I mean, back to his charm, he definitely was able to charm the ladies, it seemed, which I'm like, not really sure how, but I guess he, I don't know, I don't see it, but he was doing that. And in 1959, he married a woman named Leona, who had an arrest record for prostitution 
And then in September 1959, he pleaded guilty to a charge of attempting to cash a forged U.S. Treasury check, which he claimed to have stolen from a mailbox, but that charge was later dropped. Because of this, he received a 10-year suspended sentence and probation and eventually violated his probation on the check cashing charge and was ordered to serve his 10-year sentence. And for the next year, Charles tried to appeal the cancellation of his probation, but it was unsuccessful. And then it was at this point in July 1961, he was transferred from Los Angeles County Jail to United States Penitentiary at McNeil Island, Washington. And it was actually during his time in Washington where he took guitar lessons from Barker Carpus gang leader Alvin Creepy Carpus. He started really getting into music as well as the idea of positivity and even took some classes that the prison had to offer on them. And one of those classes was about the power of positivity. Kind of like law of attraction type right. thing. Yeah. So, yeah, he was starting to do that. And I don't know. In 1963, Leona and Charles got a divorce. So another divorce for him. And in June 1966, Charles was sent for the second time to Terminal Island in pre- preparation for early release. And it was at, during the second time to Terminal Island, Island where he, Charles Manson actually met record producer Phil Kaufman while they were inmates there. And according to Kaufman, a guard taunted Manson that he would never get out. And Manson calmly responded by looking up from his guitar and saying, quote unquote, get out of where (laughs) he liked, he liked being in there. Yeah. Seemed like he was somewhat happy in in, in prison. Yeah. Well, that's what they say about him. Yeah. So, and it was this, this point in his life where he kind of was starting to think about being a singer songwriter and that's, you know, that was like his dream and that was he wanted his, it so bad. Yeah, he did. And that's where Phil Kaufman came in. And Phil Kaufman said he thought Manson was a very bad guitar player, <laughs> but capable enough as a singer and songwriter to have a chance of getting a record contract. And before Manson's release, Phil Kaufman gave him the name of a friend in the industry, Gary Stromberg at Universal. Kaufman advised Manson to wait a few minutes after he was released to give him a chance to... Months. Ac- or months, sorry. After he was released to give him a chance... What did I say? Minutes. <laughs> Sounded like you said mints. Mints? Oh. I don't know. But he said he was, after he was to be released, he wanted to acclimatize the outside world and do some more work in his songs and then basically like put together a polished version of some Mm -hmm. songs to present to the record company. And uh, yeah, Charles Manson did not do that. And apparently when he went there, it was just a complete shit show. Like it was just trash. He, He had no clue what he was doing and he was completely unprepared. So the he had like a real opportunity to possibly get a contract and completely just bomb that. So by the time he was 32, his sentence was up and it was time for him to leave prison. However, Charles had no interest in leaving prison. In fact, he asked <laughs> if he'd be able to stay there. <laughs> Crazy. Which I mean, at this point, he was in there like 10 plus years. So mm-hmm. he was pretty used felt to like it. like home. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure he felt like a sense of home there for sure. Mm-hmm. Plus, the outside world's like scary if you've been in prison. Yeah, yeah. Like you feel like an alien almost. And if you can't handle it either, like yeah, yeah. If all this like temptation floods in to start committing crimes, like you can't really do that, you know, the same way in jail. So it's probably better for him to be there. But the prison obviously weren't going to just let Manson stay in in jail, so he was released on March twenty first, nineteen sixty seven, and it was during the sixties and the late sixties when Manson decided that. He was going to try to figure out what to do with his life from here. And this begins the formation of the Manson family. Um, one of the things 
uh, that was interesting that I was going to mention about uh, Phil Kaufman, though. Um, he actually ended up being in the Manson family, this record producer, briefly. Yeah. Oh. Like, he joined the family. Oh, right. I do remember this. Yes. But, so, Manson, at this point, decides that he wants to create, quote-unquote, a family, which we all know is basically a cult. Mm-hmm. So, at this time, he was living in California. It was 1967. He was traveling back and forth between L.A. and San Francisco. And this is when he started to pick up men and women who were kind of considered misfits Misfits, or, you know, there was a lot of hippies around during this time. Mm -hmm. So he was really, he's got that power of positivity going for him. And I'm sure he was pretty charming and, you know, probably not as crazy as we, you know, think of him as in all of his Mm -hmm. like prison interviews and stuff. Like it'd be interesting to see, because when you think about it, it's like he had to have been pretty convincing for oh, all no, these yeah. people to just oh yeah dude. literally do, drop everything and follow him. Like, well, I think he did like uh, when he did like a fuck ton of drugs that really changed him, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But before that, he was, I think, a little obviously different than he was in those final jail interviews. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. he was like off his fucking rocker at that point. Yeah. But. Yeah, definitely. No, I th- I think. It seems like this part of his life was perhaps like the best yeah. part of his life. The the yeah. initial years of the of the Manson family and just, you know, being right out of prison and kind of getting that fresh start in life. He's got a new kind of a different mindset and he's starting to meet these people who, you know, weren't really fitting in anywhere. And he was like, oh, well, you know, yeah, no judgment here. Me. Come join my my group, my family and we'll, mm-hmm. you know be one big happy family so manipulative and and at the time like he was able to charm and attract women he played the guitar he was sweet mm-hmm. and i guess semi-decent looking probably yeah, people at thought the he time. was like sexy back then can yeah, you imagine yeah i know i know <laughs> it's crazy but it was during this time that he purchased something called spawn ranch which is actually an old rundown movie set and that's where all of uh, him and his family members went and lived. And that's where that famous picture is of, of the little cave where they're all the whole Manson family um, at the time is in the cave uh, together. And there's that famous picture. And actually people still go to the spawn ranch and take, take pictures, pictures in that, in that little cave. Yeah. So wild. But what's interesting is that Manson definitely like took control over the group and had a lot of rules as to what the members of the family had to follow. And there was a lot of things banned in the house, such as books, clocks, watches, and calendars, (laughs) you know, just normal shit, no glasses, no sunglasses. So obviously when you think of those items, you're like, okay, so he didn't want you to know what time it was. He didn't want you to know what day it was. And I think I remember them talking about that. He didn't want you to have glasses because it like, He's like, you don't need glasses to see the world the, the way world. it is. Yeah. Like, it's like hippie. Like, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. And Crazy. and part of that too is just like he didn't want to live by societal norms whatsoever. And like he didn't want like to be controlled by, yeah, like a calendar or a clock. He doesn't want Nothing to be. Nothing runs my world. Exactly. I run I, my world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and at times he actually treated the home like a summer camp, and the members spent a lot of time outside. Apparently, like recreating old plays and kind of like messing around, <laughs> getting fucked up. Yeah, yeah, that's what they were really doing. And yeah, Charles Manson was like really against like 
you know, normal society and Hollywood and that life yep. lifestyle and stuff. He started like despising Hollywood and like everyone in it was evil. Right. He went like so anti mainstream that he was like just, you know, anti establishment, like anti, almost anti everything pretty much. Which we are too, but you know, yeah. this guy took it like a whole nother level, you know? Yeah. <coughs> and one of the ways that they kind of rebelled against, you know, societal norms and stuff is they did a lot of fucking drug trips together. Oh um, Yeah. A lot of drug trips. Hello, drugs. Lots of acid trips for sure. Yeah, dude. They were tripping outside. That's why they were outside all the time. Because you don't really do that kind of shit inside. Well, you can, but like you're going to get scared probably. So people normally go outside for it. So they were. And they out, said he would do like weird stuff on it too. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> He's weird without it. Imagine yeah. him on it. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine what that was like. Yeah, which if you don't know what LSD is, it's a it's a psychedelic drug. Acid. Um, it's not addictive. You know, it's not an addictive drug or anything. But but they um, would do it like over and over and yeah, over to the point where it's like it. really affecting their brains because yeah. they were doing so many in a row. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. It is crazy and to think about. It really intense. Like it stays in your system. It it does alter your hours. reality and your perception on the world and things definitely. like that. And it can definitely open you up and make you feel you know, really good. There's a euphoria to it and things like that. But it seems like it, he was kind of using it as like a brainwashing type drug, like oh yeah, a way to, you know, break them out of the reality of the world and right. bring them into his world. Mm-hmm. That's the way he did it, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And he was probably so convincing during it. It just all sounded so magical and like, yeah, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. He probably really like knows some music everything. Playing, the Beatles like, playing like, oh yeah. He was like this big Beatles fan. We'll and talk he about was that. really into the song. Helter Skelter. Yeah. <laughs> Which Helter Skelter. he thought was about an incoming war that was for sure going to happen. No, the Beatles were like very anti-war. So yeah. No, sorry, I know. buddy. That's a little bit confused there. And not only was he thinking Helter Skelter was a doomsday song, he was also interested in the book of Revelations from the Bible. Which, if you've never read the book of Revelations and you want a good doomsday tale... <laughs> A good doomsday tale. That's a good one. I've read it, and yeah, it will probably scare the shit out of you. Really? What is the scariest part of it? Tell tell me and tell the others that don't know about this. Basically. How old were you when you first read this? Young. Really? God, I got it. I feel like that's got to fuck you up. 13, maybe. 13 when I started reading. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's scary. Because, yeah, I mean, it's, it's shit, man. It's shit. Cause like, so the full story is basically Jesus is coming back. He's going to bring the Christians to heaven called the rapture. If you've ever heard of that, the second coming of Christ uh-huh. and he's going to take all the Christians to heaven with him. And after that happens, the time of tribulation starts where just one shitty thing after another starts happening from plagues to, you know, like fire st- to all sorts of things. I mean, just there's a shit storm basically everywhere. any type of apocalyptic event type thing happening all at once. You can imagine that happening. It comes in waves and then, you know, I guess it's to kind of like scare people to believe that believe in God, which is kind of weird. That's Uh at least how I interpret it. And then eventually there's like a final battle between God and the devil. And it's like a showdown battle scene in the Bible. Yeah, I should make a movie. Me pretty cool. I feel like they probably do have a movie, right? There's probably, I (laughs) bet someone's made a movie of that. Yeah. Interesting. So he believed that that was happening. He believed that that was true, that there's an apocalypse coming, that there is, you know, we got to be ready for this giant war that's going to break out. Mm -hmm. And he's, 
this was the weird thing he would do during his trips is he would reenact the crucifix uh, crucifixion of Jesus Christ while they're all tripping. Well, he had a mad God complex, so he probably wanted how... to like he'd be a pretend to be a martyr. Oh, I'm sure he was like, I am a God. Oh yeah. He probably thought like he was a God. Like, like, he thought so oh. highly of himself. Like this dude's ego was massive, yeah. just massive. Yeah. 10 foot tall. Even though he was only five foot yeah. two. <laughs> <laughs> so not only did they stay at Spawn Ranch, but they also spent a lot of time in a remote outpost in the middle of the Death Valley National uh, National Park called Barker Ranch, which is just like some just Western old, like some little house on the prairie shit out in the middle of Death Valley. Very remote, isolated. Obviously, nobody's going to be able to see what they're up to out there. But. As time went on, he became more power hungry and obsessed with having control over his family. And obviously, like we've talked about, he used the doomsday stuff to manipulate and scare the shit out of his family. He also (laughs) lied to his family about a lot of weird shit, including telling his family that the Beatles knew who they were and were fans Mm -hmm. of the Manson family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure, dude. Dude, he believed this shit, though. Like the way he talked about it, you can tell he really he lost the line between reality and non-reality a long time he ago. lost like, it and then fucking made up a completely yeah, different thing but he believes it himself to like, be that's the truth the and actually yeah. his reality yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, is it possible to do enough acid that you literally lose touch with the reality altogether I think so i definitely think so if you do enough and yeah. like every day days and days and days True. in a row yeah. and you're upping your doses and stuff like i feel like eventually you could f- convince yourself of something yeah totally and I think he really did believe like you can tell in his interviews, he still like till the very end s- believed that he was in the right and he did nothing wrong. Yeah, and he yeah. like everyone else thought to get him. And it's this big conspiracy. And he's so confident in himself and his lies. He's so confident yeah. about his lies that I don't know if they are lies. I think that's his reality to him. He mm-hmm. really believes these things. And I mean, these people just looked up to him so much. They believed anything that came out of this dude's mouth. Literally anything. It's amazing, honestly, how people can get power over people like that. And and most cults with this kind of thing have drugs involved because it's a lot easier to, you know, take Absolutely. control of someone yeah. when you're giving them drugs. State, yeah. yeah, altered state. That's why they do it with human trafficking. A lot of people that are in human trafficking are on drugs because you're easier to control when you're addicted to something. So yeah, or Crazy. just given, you know, mind altering stuff. Right, 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 right. And then being like force fed information from it. Um, but also one time the family did an interview. Um, or I'm sorry, hang on. There's one other thing I want to say. Um they were also convinced that a lot of the lyrics that the Beatles wrote were written to them or about them or for them, and that some of the lyrics actually had secret codes in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they must have just been like tripping balls listening oh, to yeah, the Beatles, dude. like, Oh, you hear that? telling us something yeah oh i can see it i can just see it in my head like he's listening he probably was like replaying the records over and over and over like oh Oh, my god they're talking to me (laughs) they're talking to me like and i'm the only one who gets it and and the beatles we have this whole thing can you imagine convincing yourself of that and then not only convincing yourself but convincing a whole group of people and they believe you that the fucking beatles are secretly talking to this random group of people tripping drugs yeah, and I guess after enough of that, you can definitely yeah 
just start accepting that reality. I guess you kind of yeah. have to because you're yeah, just just completely tripping. Yeah. And some of the women that were in this cult, you there's interviews of them in prison years later. And you can tell when they're off of everything that they are pretty level headed. Yeah. 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 They, and they like, you can tell they're not complete, like just dummies. I would believe anything. It's definitely has, I mean, the drugs were a huge, huge part in his control of people. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why we see with other cults too, like you said. Yeah. And I mean, Beatles music is something that you would listen to. A ton of people would like do drug trips and listen to the Beatles back then. Cause it was so different. Like it was so like, whoa, like, especially when they started to get into their weird stuff, like yellow submarine and like, um, oh my gosh, strawberry fields and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super um, trippy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So they were probably like, whoa. And I mean, I and it wasn't that it. weird for people to be tripping either. I mean, this was the the sixties and no, of you course know, not. Yeah. It was really big back then. was, was lit. I mean, oh, it, were, it was lit. That's for, that's for sure. It was a hundred percent lit. Yeah. Especially really in was. California at the time. Mm-hmm. And these guys were very lit because they were doing it every fucking day. They were just really pushing it. <laughs> so imagine what that would do to your brain after a while. And then they actually did have a connection with the Beach Boys, which was interesting. Yeah, they did. This is so, this is the weirdest thing. He had this really strange relationship with the drummer from the Beach Boys. It's so random. It's so weird. I mean, he figured out pretty fucking quick how crazy Charles Manson was. But yes, he had a connection with him. And he even offered, uh, the the drummer's name is Dennis Wilson. and, Mm -hmm. And he actually like at one point wanted to help Charles Manson get like some music and was going to yeah. work with him and stuff. But then yeah, they recorded stuff together, but it was never released. <laughs> he just realized like he's batshit crazy. Like they got in a fight over something. I can't remember. I don't know if it's in our notes. I, I don't have, I'm not on the right page, but I know they got in a fight over something and Charles Manson said some crazy shit to him. Like I will, he like held up a bullet to him. It yeah, yeah, was yeah. like, I will, shoot your family or kill your family. Yeah, he said, every time you look at it, I want you to know how nice it yeah. is that your kids are safe. Yeah. And then he was like, um, fuck you. I'm a beach boy. I don't need you random ass. Like, so then they got in a physical fight. I think he hit Charles. They did. Yeah. Um, Charles got in a fight with Dennis because yep. they disagreed over the record. Um, something yeah. with the record. And I think basically he was not very good. Yeah. And, and he wanted to be like much more involved and much like he wanted to play guitar more. Sure. And, yeah, so they weren't agreeing on that shit. Yeah, and, and Dennis obviously was fucking pissed that Charles like said that. Threat? Yeah, what the hell, dude? And he ended up beating the shit out of yeah. Charles. Well deserved. And then just, you know, peaced yeah. out and was like, they never worked yeah, together we're again. done. And then I think he took all the stuff because I don't think he was ever released to no. what they did work on. Yeah. Pretty um, interesting, though. It is. It shows you how manipulative he was. And like we said, he wasn't always this crazy the dude in jail with the tattoo on the right. middle of his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like a normalish guy enough mm-hmm. for a beach boy to want to consider working with him. I mean, he wasn't just like some kook. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was, but like, he's so manipulative. Externally, that he, he didn't present fool himself. You. Yeah. yeah. He really, um, yeah. Amazing. He tricked a lot of people. Very charming. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. So because of this whole situation with Dennis, um, it just made Charles hate Hollywood even more than he had before. And he actually claimed to have made a celebrity kill list, which the list consisted of Frank Sinatra, Elizabeth Taylor, Tom Jones, and Stephen McQueen on his celebrity kill list, which God. Yeah. Angry motherfucker. Yeah. 
But in the summer of 1969, Charles became increasingly angry and paranoid at one point. One of the members of his family, nicknamed Tex, scammed a drug dealer named Bernard Crow, known as Lots of Papa. And on July 1st, Lots of Papa threatened Charles and his entire family. Yeah, what a weird name for a drug dealer. And after this, Charles decided to drive to this guy's house and shoot him. Charles thought that he had killed him, but the guy ended up surviving. And then the next day, Charles heard a news report that a Black Panther member was shot and killed. And Charles assumed that Mm -hmm. they were talking about lots of Papa. And so he started freaking out, thinking that the entire Black Panther movement was after him. Yeah. Well, he was paranoid as shit. Yeah. From all the drugs. Like he was like tweaking hard at this point. He was like, fuck, they're all after me. Everyone's after me. I'm like, fucking God. Like he was literally freaking out. And, yeah, he just assumed that that was connected. Yeah, and he just assumed that like the Black Panthers are going to come for him, and then he was like, "Oh my God, the the race war is and he's coming!" Convincing and, everyone in yeah. this group that that's going to happen. He's like, "This shit's about to pop off." <laughs> Literally, even though only it's in his head. Yep, and not based in reality. Mm-mm. So the Manson family, at this time, got involved in the murder of Gary Hinman in July 1969. So Gary Allen Hinman was a music teacher and PhD student at UCLA. He had been described as a kind, gentle soul who would often open his house up to those needing a place to stay. At some point in the late 1960s, Gary uh, befriended members of the Manson family with some staying at his home on occasion. Charles was under the impression that Gary had, you know, a decent amount of stocks and bonds and owned his property. And he believed that he was wealthy. And so Charles sent a member Bobby Boussoulet, or <laughs> Boussoulet, Boussoulet, sorry, Bobby Boussoulet, along with Mary Brenner and Susan Atkins, to Gary's home on July 25th, 1969, to convince Gary, come join the fam, bro. <laughs> join the fam. Because he thought that he would be able to get his assets from him if mm-hmm. he could get him to join the family mm-hmm. that this guy had inherited. The three of the Manson family held Gary, who was not cooperative whatsoever, obviously, hostage for two days, and during these two days, Charles would show up with a sword and slash his ear. After that, Bobby Boussoulet stabbed Gary to death because Manson gave him the green light to do so. And before leaving the Topanga Canyon residence, Bobby Boussoulet, or one of the women, used Gary's blood to write political piggy on the wall and draw a panther paw, which is obviously the Black Panther symbol. And actually in magazine articles in uh, the 80s and 90s, Bobby Boussoulet would say he went to Gary to collect money paid to him for drugs that he had supposedly, uh, that had been supposedly bad. And on the other hand, Susan Atkins claims that Charles directly told Bobby and Mary Brunner and her to go to Gary's and get the supposed inheritance of 21000 She said Charles had told her privately two days earlier that if she wanted to do something important, she could kill Gary and get his money. God, what the hell? And they're just like, okay. Bobby was arrested on August 6, 1969 after being caught driving Gary's car. And the police actually found the murder weapon in the tire well. And two days later, Charles told members uh, of his family at Spawn Ranch that, quote unquote, now is the time for Helter Skelter. <sighs> and this is when shit just gets crazy. Mm-hmm. And we start talking about the very sad murder of Sharon Tate. Yeah. Just a tragic, honestly. All these murders are just really horrendous. Just heinous, man. But before we talk about her, I just want to thank 
our last sponsors for today. When we talk about McDonald's combo meals, we talk about savory meat, golden fries, and your favorite drink. Now, the combo meals just got crispy, juicy, and tender with the new crispy chicken sandwich combo. And you have to try it. Get a classic or spicy crispy chicken sandwich with medium fries and a medium soft drink like Sprite for only six bucks. Promotion pricing may be lower than meal pricing, cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At ADP, we understand the importance of building the right team and offer the data insights to help. Just as importantly, our AI technology helps you pay the team accurately. Grow stronger with ADP. HR, talent, time, and payroll. All right. So let's talk about two of the most prolific murders that the Manson family committed. One of them being the absolutely tragic murder of Sharon Tate. Mm -hmm. So the way that this story goes is that on August 1969, late at night, Charles just woke up all of a sudden and asked some of his other female family members or cult members who were living with him, obviously, at the time, and basically told them, get up, go with Tex and follow everything he says and do not ask questions. And Tex, if you're watching, here's a picture of him at the time, just looked like a a beetle. Yeah, literally. Like Definitely looked beetles. like a little beetle. And uh, yeah, he's actually still in prison uh, for these murders. But and yeah, so Charles knew that these girls were completely obsessed with him. He had them manipulated, pretty much brainwashed, and they would believe anything that he said. And so he used this to his advantage, which is crazy, to convince them to kill people for him and basically keeping his hands Mm -hmm. clean from ever having to Mm -hmm. do any of the actual killings himself. Which is really interesting because I think a lot of people hear the name Charles Manson and they think that he killed a bunch of people. And then you find out that he never, in fact, killed anyone. As far as I know, yeah. Well, yeah, as far as as we know, know, he's never been found guilty of killing someone. Right. And he, yeah, he would use people to do things for him. And yeah, one of those people being Tex. So Tex and the girls arrive at the entrance to this property who had, uh, and at the house, Uh, They climbed a telephone pole near the entrance gate and cut the phone line to prevent telephone access to the house. That's so fucked up. Seriously. So this is obviously well thought out. And Tex had actually been to this property before at some point. And at this point in time, it was after midnight, August 9th, 1969. The group backed their car to the bottom of the hill that led to the house, parked and walked up to the house. It's so scary. Yeah, seriously. This is like some out of like, yeah, it's like so many horror movies I can think of that where... You know, people, killers just show up at your house trying to yeah. get in and Ugh. murder you. Yeah, really, really freaky. But moments after, 18-year-old student Stephen Parent had been visiting the property's caretaker, William Gerritsen, who lived in the property's guest house. So this was like in the hills, like a nice Hollywood neighborhood, too, yeah. that they mm-hmm. were in. Mm-hmm. Fancy. And Tex ended up actually shooting uh, this man and killing mm-hmm. him. Tex then cut the screen door on the window to the main part of the house and entered through the window which i'm like they didn't lock the windows yeah how do you get through the i was in like how are these guys just getting in so easily to these well they may have smashed the glass and then cut the screen but i don't think they did i think the windows were just unlocked like and and again it was like the 60s and or maybe it locked their shit but well maybe it was hot and they just had why does it say the door on the window the door on the window that's a typo (laughs) yeah So, yeah, one of those. He cut the screen door. Okay, so it was the screen door. Okay. 
Well, maybe. I, don't he, know. I, I think he cut the screen on the window and then oh, entered so. through the window. I don't think he went through a door. Oh, okay. So, so the it door wasn't part a door. Was a, yeah. So yeah, they probably just had the windows open then for like air. Air, yeah. Summer. It's August. No, that's exactly I what I mean. Happened. We sleep with our window open fucking literally all year, even in December. So <laughs> even when it's a blizzard. <laughs> but anyway, so Tex and the girls climb through the window, and that's when they come upon Sharon Tate, who was eight months pregnant at the time and, and home with four friends. Tex began to tie Sharon Tate and one of her friends that were with her by their necks with the rope he had brought and slung up over one of the living room's ceiling beams. Another friend who was there was taken momentarily back to her bedroom for her purse, at which she gave the intruders $70. After that, Watson stabbed her seven times. Oh, my God. So literally, like, they get in there. Tex is taking care of Sharon. Then he's instructing the other uh, girls that were with him to go and kill the other people, Mm -hmm. essentially. The other friends who were also stabbed, shot to death, uh, or... And ultimately in the house, Sharon was killed. She begged to be allowed to live long enough to have her baby and even offered herself as a hostage in an attempt to save the life of her unborn child. <sighs> That's so awful. No one should ever have to do that shit. That's so, oh, it's so messed up. This is really sad. It's brutal, man. It's yeah. just, just evil as fuck. Like mm-hmm. stabbing a pregnant woman 16 times. Yep. And basically, Sheridan and all the other people that were there ended up getting murdered by the Manson's family members. And the total number of stabbings was a total of 102 times. Oh, my God. Just brutal. Just completely Ugh. like. Josh and I were talking about this. Like, I think we've even said this on the podcast. Just how brutal stabbing is. Like, for some reason, that bothers me so it's such much. It's a personal way to kill somebody. It's so creepy. Like, I'd rather get shot. I think everyone would, right? Like, that's just. Ugh. 16 times i i hate it i hate it so much yeah and, and, and i think she got stabbed on her lower back too right all over man yeah Ugh, it's so sad. which there's actually crime scene photos beware there yeah be very careful when looking them up they're really really rough yeah, they're i haven't graphic. seen them in a while in a, like at least a year but from what i remember they're just horrible they are they're brutal man mm-hmm. yeah they they just completely we're just complete savages in there and yeah. yeah, cut these guys up really, really good. And, and actually on the front door, they wrote with Sharon's blood, the word pig Ugh. and on their way home, Tex and the girls just changed out of their clothes and threw them out on the side of the road, um, along with their guns and knives. And then the following day they decided to go and attack a company executive, Lino LaBianca, and his wife, Rosemary. Tex and some other members were ordered by Charles to go to their house, and they did, and went through the back door and then ended up brutally stabbing both of them to death. The details are just absolutely disgusting. Yeah, they're really bad on this one. So they put a fork in Lino's <sighs> stomach, and a knife was put into his throat. Oh, then they I carved the, war, uh, the word war into his body, and then Rosemary was strangled with a lamp cord and a pillow was over her head and they were stabbed over 67 times. That's just, <sighs> it's just savagery. Like that's just really freaks me out, man. That that's just like Jack really the Ripper status. Like that's crazy. That's just, Oh, it's completely brutal. Just like so personal and evil. <sighs> and then on the walls, they wrote in their blood death to pigs and rise on the fridge doors. 
or and rise on the wall. Sorry. And then on the fridge doors, the words helter skelter were written. God. And the Beatles would like never want to anything to do no, with something like no, this. It's so no. crazy that he was like, oh, yeah, they're talking to us. It's crazy, man. So the La Bianca crime scene was discovered at about 1030 p.m. on August 10th, approximately 19 hours after the murders were committed. 15 year old Frank Struthers, Rosemary's son from a prior marriage and Lino's stepson returned from a camping trip <sighs> and discovered all the window shades of the home drawn and noticed his stepfather's speedboat was still attached to the family car, which was parked in the driveway. He called his older sister and her boyfriend. The boyfriend, Joe Dorgan, accompanied the young uh, Struthers into the home and discovered Lino's body. Rosemary's body was found by investigating mm. police officers. And I'm sure it just was absolutely horrible. Just horrific, man. That's yeah. That's a brutal crime scene, man. That really is. It makes me sick thinking about it. The pictures are so bad. Oh yeah, they're they're brutal, man. So basically, Tex Watson and the three other members, Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Linda Casbian, or Casabian, sorry, killed Sharon Tate and then the LeBianca family while following Charles' specific instructions, and literally. Manson just like sat back and watched it happen. Yeah. Sicko. So as you can imagine at this time, you know, this is like the hippie movement and, you know, peace, Mm -hmm. love. Everybody in California is freaking out because they're like, what the hell's going on? Celebrities are being targeted. Yeah. And they called these ritualistic killings. Mm -hmm. So they thought maybe there's like a cult or a satanic cult, you know, responsible for this. Mm hmm. Because of just how brutal the scenes were and the fact that they like carved into yeah, the bodies. They and were wrote clear like shit. hate crimes. Yeah. Yeah. So. So because of this. Um, not only did the police not know that the cases weren't related. They thought it was just a copycat, which is interesting uh, from the Sharon Tate murder. They didn't really connect the dots initially. So it was like two independent investigations going Um but during the investigation, the man's family was actually arrested and then released due to an unrelated charge of auto theft, which is crazy. It's like, why would they be so dumb to to go and commit auto theft when they're li- they literally know there's an investigation going on about the murders they just committed? Mm-hmm. But they did. And, and the police weren't able to connect it or connect it to them initially. So, you know, they were they got out and Charles and the Manson family then headed back to their hideout in Death Valley which was out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, obviously a good place to hide. Mm -hmm. So Stephen parent, the shooting victim in the Tate driveway was determined to have been an acquaintance of William Gerritsen. So just an innocent, I mean, they were all innocent, but just wrong place, wrong time uh, to uh, Gerritsen who lived in the guest house. And William uh, Gerritsen was a young man hired to take care of the property. Which is interesting, Garrison was held briefly as a suspect in the Sharon Tate case. He told police he had neither seen nothing or heard anything on the murder night. So he actually, I think he survived, mm-hmm. but then later died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on August 12th, 1969, the LAPD told the press that it had ruled out any connection between the Tate and La Bianca homicides. Great. And then on August 16th, the sheriff's office raided Spawn Ranch and arrested Charles and 25 others as suspects in a major auto theft ring. They had been stealing Volkswagen Beetles and converting them into dune buggies. 
what the fuck, man? They're crazy. <laughs> he's just like out of his mind. Like literally, oh, yeah. he's just fucking doesn't crazy. think about the consequences or the repercussions or even worrying about getting caught. It mm-hmm. seems like he just doesn't care. No, he didn't. He didn't give a fuck. Because when you like jail, what are you worried about? Well, yeah, going and back? I think that was his mindset. He's just like, it's like going Take home. Take me, whatever. Yeah, I'm going home. Going home. <laughs> <laughs> But when the the authorities were out there, they actually seized weapons as well. Um, But because the warrant that they had was misdated, the group was actually released a few days later. How crazy is that? That is insane. And then in a report at the end of August, when virtually all leads had gone nowhere, the the LeBianco detectives noted a possible connection between the bloody writings at the Bianca house and the singing group, the Beatles most recent album. It's interesting. So still working separately from the Tate team, the Bianca team checked with the sheriff's office in mid October about possible similar crimes. And that's when they learned of Gary Hinman's case. And they also learned that Gary Hinman detectives had spoken with Bobby Boussoulet's girlfriend, Kitty Lutzinger. She had been arrested a few days earlier with the members of the Manson family. And then a joint force of National Park Service Rangers and officers from the California Highway Patrol and Inyo County Sheriff's Office both raided Myers Ranch and Barker Ranch after following clues left when the family members burned an earth mover owned by Death Valley National Monument. God, they were really not trying to stay like under the radar. Mm -mm. They just kept doing shit. They literally didn't give a shit. Didn't give a single shit. And that's when they found stolen dune buggies and other vehicles and arrested two dozen people, including Charles Manson. A highway patrol officer found Charles hiding in a cabinet beneath a bathroom sink. <laughs> God, Good he was job. small enough. Yeah. <laughs> he was small enough. <sighs> but they had no, they still at this point had no idea that this group was involved with the murders. Wow. Which is what's fucking crazy to me is like today, those murders would have been solved like straight away. Cause the amount of DNA that must've been there. Oh, yeah. From stabbings, first of well, all? T- maybe not necessarily because we don't have everyone's DNA, but there's a good chance they probably would be able or to. Or just like been able to collect more evidence they, to. Yeah. And especially because there's so many people there, the chances of there being someone's DNA there of that's in the system. Like, and now that they connect, they can connect it to it. Not even if just you're in the system, if like your relative. Well, is, all these guys had been in the system, so they would have been able to identify them. Yeah. Tax and all today. Them. Yeah, yeah. Right. Today. Right. 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 They would have identified. And as soon as they identified one of them, they would have led it all back to this family and they would have figured it out and probably stopped a lot more crimes and, you know, even murders from happening. Like if yeah. they had caught them straight away. Possibly. Yeah. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, they didn't get that. They would have done, I think, a lot more than they ended up doing. Yeah. I mean, it just took so long back then for for them to like develop a case enough to arrest somebody for, you know, a crime and, and actually get enough evidence to present to a judge and stuff. So mm-hmm. I feel like it was harder, way harder back then than it is today to yeah. solve crimes. But on December 1st, 1969, the LAPD announced warrants for the arrest of Watson, Krenwinkel and Kasabian in the Sharon Tate case. The suspect's involvement in the LaBianca murders were noted Manson and Atkins, who were already in custody, were not mentioned. The connection between the Bianca case and Van Houten, who was the Houghton, Houghton sorry, Houghton. <laughs> Van Houghton, <laughs> Van Houghton, 
Van Houten, who was also among those arrested near Death Valley, had not yet been recognized. So they're starting to piece it together, starting yeah. to, to, to make connections with the uh, the different suspects. Watson and Krenwinkel were already under arrest with authorities in McKinney, Texas, and Mobile, Alabama, having picked them up on notice from the LAPD. And they were informed that there was a warrant out for their arrest, and Kasabian voluntarily surrendered to authorities in Concord, New Hampshire, on December 2nd. Before long, physical evidence such as Krenwinkel and Watson's fingerprints were recovered. And then on September 1st, 1969, the 22 caliber Buttline Special Revolver Watson used on uh, Stephen Parent, uh, the the guy at the uh, the house, Sebring and Frykowski had been found and given to police by Stephen Weiss, a 10 year old who lived near the Tate residence. Interesting. A local ABC television crew quickly located and recovered the bloody clothing discarded by the Tate killers and the knives discarded. Uh, the knives that were basically thrown out. In, mm-hmm. in route from the Tate residence were never recovered actually, despite a search by crewmen as well as by the LAPD. Crazy. They never found them. Except for they did find a knife behind a cushion of a chair in the Sharon or in Sharon Tate's living room, which is apparently that of Susan Atkins who had lost her knife in the course of the attack. Wow. Which I was saying like find the knife and yeah. you know, you've got your, your evidence there. So this is interesting. So on August August 26th, the Manson family killed one of their own members, Donald Shea, because they thought that he was a snitch. A doormate of one of the Manson members overheard them talking about the whole thing and killing him, and she reported it to the police. So she went into custody, and while she was in jail, she told police and her jailmates about everything they had done, like the La Bianca murders and Sharon Tate. Yeah, that's how. That's kind of how they, they started figuring it out. She, mm-hmm. she was talking in jail. Yep. Right in her mouth. And then obviously after that, they were able to connect everybody through the murders, through DNA evidence. So I guess they did eventually uh, figure out the DNA evidence that I'm sure was all over the place. And then in December of 1969, Charles Manson and all five of his family members were charged with the Sharon Tate and LaBianca family murders. And this would be the start of the trial of the century. The trial for these murders began on June 15, 1970. Charles Manson, of course, requested to serve as his own attorney, but was denied the request. What's up with all these guys like wanting to be their own attorneys? Like, how dumb are you? It's their ego, dude. They think they could do it better than anyone roof. else. It's crazy. They think they're smarter than everybody. They yep. know the law better. It's like, what's wrong with you, dude? The prosecution argued the triggering of Helter Skelter was Charles' main motive for committing all the murders. The crime scene's bloody white album references pig rise helter skelter were matched with testimony about Charles predictions that the murders uh, blacks would commit at the outset of helter skelter would involve the writing of pigs on the walls and victims blood. Oh, it makes total sense. Mm. During the trial, Charles really played up his whole character and would oftentimes act super weird in the courtroom and stare at people. Yeah, he would make these crazy yep. faces. There's like some yep. some gifs out there of him like just yeah. doing these like, like yeah. just wild like yeah. Oh, he was like well, he was really playing up like the insanity too. Yeah, and he liked to freak people out. He loved getting like he reactions did. out of people. I'm sure he Life did. Life was just this giant fucking game to him. He never took shit seriously from day one. And you know what? When you're given no name as your name, maybe you're not going to take your life too seriously. It's true. It's very true. And it makes sense that he, he acted the way that he did. But like during the time of the trial, he's just a complete, just completely disruptive. 
mm-hmm. and the Manson family would eventually get banned from the courtroom and people would describe the overall mood and the vibe outside the courtroom as almost festive. <laughs> a lot of people gathered out there and be kind of a social gathering where people would hang out. It's interesting. Kind of like, you know, with like Ted Bundy and stuff. Yeah. It becomes almost like a spectacle in this mm-hmm. like weird, I guess it's this weird obsession that we have with like true crime and, and everything. It's kind of the same thing. Like mm-hmm. this guy's just such a weirdo that, you know, it's such a train wreck that you can't like look away or whatever that saying is, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Train wreck. I don't know if there's like a specific saying that goes with that, <laughs> but yeah, a train wreck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So some family members attempted to dissuade witnesses from testifying. Of course, prosecution witnesses, Paul Watkins and Juan Flynn were both threatened. Paul Watkins was badly burned in a suspicious fire in his van. Former family member, Barbara Hoyt, who had overheard Susan Atkins describing the tape murders to family member, Ruth Ann Morehouse agreed to accompany the latter to Hawaii. There, Morehouse allegedly gave her a hamburger spiked with several doses of LSD. Damn. She was found sprawled on a Honolulu curb in a drug state. Hoyt was taken to the hospital where she did her best to identify herself as a witness in the Sharon Tate and LaBianca murder trial. LaBianca. LaBianca, yeah. Such a weird name to say LaBianca. 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 Yeah, I'm probably saying it so white. I'm True sure that. I'm like just butchering it. It's probably just painful for some people to listen to. Like, oh, I don't think dude. so. La Bianca. That's how you say it. I think it. I just need to say it like faster. Like La Bianca. La Bianca. Oh yeah. La Bianca. La Bianca. <laughs> Sounds more confident. Slow. Like, La Bianca. <laughs> God, our podcast is such trash. Oh my God. <laughs> but during this time, everybody was into the trial. Even President Nixon. Oh yeah, man. He was spoke in about it. it. Yeah. It was like, he's guilty. Mm-hmm. And Manson tried to get his uh, trial, like uh, get a mistrial because the president of the United States. I mean, honestly, I'm like that, that I think that is grounds for a mistrial. If the president of the United States is like, he's guilty. Yeah. And he hasn't even been tried yet. Like, I don't know. That seems, seems weird. They didn't do that. But the most dramatic moment in the courtroom happened on October 5th, 1970, when Charles ended up jumping out of his seat, <laughs> lunging 10 feet. Yeah, dude, he like towards the judge. Sprung up. Yeah. But, and they have like only uh, obviously it would have been cool if they had like video of it, but they have like drawings of it. Court drawings. It, been, it probably was so funny. Honestly, yeah, I'm like, sure. It was really see this, like little dude come flying out of his seat at the judge. Yeah. Like, it was a spectacle for sure. Yeah. God. That's so weird. But one thing that was interesting is that there was never a single witness called to the stand during a trial, which is really interesting. That is. And on November 16th, the prosecution and defense rested. And one thing that was fucking crazy that happened was one of the defense lawyers named Ronald Hughes didn't show up in court. And later his body was discovered in the middle of the wilderness. Yeah, this was a defense attorney. And one of his family members believes that he was murdered because of the fact Mm -hmm. that he and Charles had a disagreement about one of the other family members defenses. Yeah. Defense. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I I think there's like, there's, this was one of the things I was going to talk about at the end is like, there's there's, it seems to me that there was a number of different murders that just haven't been tied or connected to him. Yeah. That happened. That yeah. the Manson family was responsible for. Yeah. I mean, it depends on like 
who you talk to because there's a lot of people that don't think he did anything else but yeah well maybe not him personally like but yeah, killing no, somebody, no, but no. the family Connected or to, members right. of it doing things they stuff. got away with because mm-hmm. that is really weird that why would his defense attorney just show up dead in the middle of the wilderness all of a sudden yeah that's during that's the fucking trial weird. Like, honestly i would not be surprised if he somehow had involvement in that and he would be the type to try to like con- oh yeah like do something like that from jail oh yeah and he's got all of his members so fucking brainwashed mm-hmm. that they'll they like worship him they'll do whatever he says yeah so yeah i feel like they would totally do that mm-hmm. but after nine days of deliberation on january 25th 1971 the jury found each defendant guilty of conspiracy to commit murder and murder in the first degree in a separate trial Tex was also found guilty and sentenced to death. They were all sentenced to death. Wow. And on March 29th, the jury made the decision to charge Charles as well as the other three women with the death penalty as well. Charles Manson was admitted to state prison from uh, Los Angeles County on April 22nd, 1971 for seven counts of first degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder for the deaths of Abigail and Folger. Frykowski, Stephen Parent, Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring and Leno and Rosemary LaBianca. He was sentenced to death, but then the death penalty was ruled unconstitutional in 1972 by the Supreme court. And so they were all, they had their death penalties commuted and changed to a life in prison um, sentence, but they gave him the ability to apply for parole, which was interesting. Uh, You go from death penalty, but then you go to life, but don't think, Oh, maybe we should not let this guy ever get an opportunity to get out. But they didn't. Yeah, they I didn't know. do that. I know. Why would you ever let his ass back Seriously. out? That's like so bad. And this is when he's just starting to get like all wild and crazy in jail and stuff mm-hmm. and really just, yeah, starting to lose it for sure. But it was actually made possible for Charles Manson to apply for parole after seven years. That's crazy. So you only had to be in, in jail for seven years. Um, Damn. And then he can start applying for parole, which obviously doesn't mean he's guaranteed to even get a hearing for parole. But it's interesting that they let him do that. And in 1974, Charles stated his religion was Scientology and identified as a Scientologist after studying the religion while in prison. Charles completed 150 hours of auditing before deciding that Scientology was, quote unquote, too crazy. (laughs) Even he was Even like, Charles Manson was, he probably did 150 hours yeah. of auditing and then he realized like, what? Yeah. These people are nuts. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now we're, now we got aliens involved and I'm a what? Yeah, he probably didn't even learn about all that part yet. No, no. Crazy. But it's, isn't that interesting that obviously he would find Scientology to be intriguing and mm-hmm. draw inspiration from Well, he that. was like, how are they getting all these people? And like, yeah. it was doing really well, especially at that time. And I think really so exploding. many cults have like tried to, you know, or at least thought maybe they would end, end up one day like Scientology. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the fact that Scientology has been able to legally pull off this cult for years is just fucking Baffling. crazy. I know. I know it really is like you you realize like yeah how many people are still in it you're just like oh my god it's the insane. money and now they have like celebrities in it and you know celebrities mm-hmm. have that power you know kind of untouchable yeah it's crazy but Charles Manson's first parole hearing took place on November 16th 1978 at California Medical Facility but his 
uh, petition was rejected. And after his parole hearing, Manson refused to attend any of his later hearings. And the panel at that hearing noted that Manson had a history of controlling behavior. Yeah, no shit. And mental <laughs> health issues. No shit. Including schizophrenia and paranoid delusional disorder, which I'm sure was brought about by rampant LSD use. Yeah. And it was too great, great of a danger to be released. Yeah, no shit. Good, good call there. They also know that Manson had received 108 rules violation reports and had no indication of remorse, <laughs> no insight into uh, causative factors of the crimes, lacked understanding of the magnitude of the crimes and had an exceptional callous disregard for human suffering and it had no parole plans. So he literally, he literally his entire life gave no shits. No, no fucks, no, no fucks. shits, no nothing. <laughs> no fucks or shits. <laughs> he was just a savage man, just a savage man. Savage little man. <laughs> and then there was the Willett murders. So on November 8th, 1972, the body of 26 year old Vietnam Marine combat veteran, James LT Willett was found by a hiker near Guerneville, California. Months earlier, he had been forced to dig his own grave and then was shot and poorly buried. His body was found with one hand protruding from the grave and the head and other hand missing, most likely because of scavenging animals, obviously, his station wagon was found outside a house in Stockton where several followers of Charles were living, including Priscilla Cooper, Lynette Squeaky from, and Nancy Pittman. Police actually forced their way into the house and arrested several of the people there along with Fromm, who had called the house after they had arrived. In the body of James Willett's 19-year-old wife, Lauren Rennie Chevelle Olmsted, Willett was found buried in the basement. She had been killed by... Uh, very recently by a gunshot to the head and in what the family members initially claimed was an accident it was later suggested that she was killed out of the fear that she would reveal who killed her husband as the discovery of his body had become big news. However, the Willits infant daughter was found alive in the house. Michael Monfort pleaded guilty to murdering Rennie Willett and Priscilla Cooper, James Craig and Nancy Pittman pleaded guilty as accessories after the fact. The group had been living in the house with the Willits while committing various robberies. God. God, just just all these Manson family members just were like savages. And I, yeah. I just, yep. it's crazy that he was able to get people to do all of this stuff. Oh, I know. And convince them to just like go and. That it was all a good idea. Murder people. Like, yeah. Can you imagine being that like disconnected no that you would just do it? You would just do it. Like people always say you wouldn't like walk off a cliff if someone told you to do it like these people literally would have walked off a cliff if yeah. charles manson told them to yeah, do it they would like do Jonestown anything for, for sure like, oh for sure if not worse like yeah oh, it was crazy it was crazy these people were so brainwashed god no he it's just crazy the control he had over his quote-unquote family but on September 25th, 1984, Charles Manson was imprisoned in the California medical facility at Vacaville when a different inmate named John Holmstrom poured a paint thinner on him and set him on fire. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. God, that's savage. Which just gave him second and third degree burns over 20% of his body. After 1989, Manson was housed in the protective housing unit at California State Prison in Kings County. The unit houses inmates whose safety would be endangered by general population housing. He had also been housed at San Quentin State Prison, California Medical Facility, Folsom State Prison, and Pelican Bay State Prison. He was in so many freaking prisons throughout his life. It's crazy. 
Oh, I know. Just he like was so moved part around. of the system that it yeah. just like became so natural to him. Yeah, he definitely was. And I think that, like we said already, it really goes back to that at the end of the day is he, he was never afraid of society or the system or anything. He was no. like, bring it, bitch. Like he didn't care. Oh, he was a total fuck the system mm-hmm. type of guy. Yeah. He really didn't care about going back. No, no he wasn't scared of prison at all no. or, you know, Mm-mm. worried about it. I think he kind of figured like I was pretty much born in prison. Pretty yeah. Much. Yeah. I might as well die. I'm probably going to die there. Like he figured that, you know. It's just like, why, why do all these things? What, what's in it for you? Well, he thought he was like fighting. I think he was so insane, dude. He just thought he was fighting for like society or whatever the hell or Jesus or whatever he was doing. I don't know. Whatever his mission was, it was just anti-establishment. Like he was fighting for like the people in his mind. Yeah. He was like doing a good thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. He thought he was like, I'm doing God's work. Yeah. He thought he was like a martyr. Yeah. God, it's fucking crazy. People can get to that point mentally, though. It's like, I can't even imagine ever being able to get to that level of brainwashed. It's just wild. But throughout his time in prison, through over the years, uh, he had he was found guilty of trafficking drugs, and he was moved to another state prison. Um, and then in 2009, he was caught with a cell phone uh, in a cell. He was contacting people in various states. And they're not sure if it was used for criminal purposes or not. But on April 11, 2012, there was a parole hearing which determined that Manson would not be reconsidered for parole for another 15 years. So not before 2027, at which time he would have been 92 years old. And on January 1st, 2017, Manson was suffering from gastrointestinal bleeding at California State Prison and was rushed to Mercy Hospital in downtown Bakersfield. It is reported that his doctors considered him too weak for surgery. Whatever treatment he had received was not disclosed and was returned to prison by January 6th. On November 25th, 2017, a source confirmed that Manson had returned to a hospital in Bakersfield. He then died from a cardiac arrest resulting from respiratory failure and colon cancer at the hospital four days later on November 19th. Three different people tried to claim Charles' estate and body. It's interesting. Charles' grandson, Jason Freeman, stated his intent to take possession of Charles' remains and personal stuff. Michael uh, weird. Channels, Channels, a pen pal of Charles, has a will dated February 14, 2002 that leaves Charles' entire estate plus his body to him. It's weird that there is all these people that wanted his body. leave his body to someone? He actually I'm got engaged briefly. Did you hear that? Like... He was old as shit and yeah, yeah, yeah. he got engaged Through, to like some 27 year old girl for Dude, like a couple days. Just a couple days. Yeah. They're only engaged for like a couple days and then he realized she was just trying to get his estate and will and oh, get yeah. possession of his body. What the and that hell? Her plan Why was is the to body get his such body a big deal? And display it. Wow. How did, how did he foil that plan? I have no idea. How did he figure that out? Did she like write that down uh, somewhere? Yeah. I think she must have came clean about it or something like just so you know dude i'm secretly gonna show your body off because literally he's like the spectacle and i saw one statistic that he got some like sixty thousand letters wow like every year sixty thousand more than any inmate in like all of california dude i'm sure he soaked it up which is interesting because all of it he had like obviously there was a huge media presence throughout the years that he was doing all this shit and there was documentaries made about him. There's a TV show inspired by him. 
Um, the family men- members were also uh, had a large media presence presence uh, at the time as well. And actually, one of the family members was responsible for attempting to assassinate U.S. President Gerald Ford. Uh, Good is her name. Yeah, I forget what's her first name. Sandra Good, I'm pretty sure is her name. Yeah, Sandra Good. Yeah, she went to jail for attempting to assassinate a president. How crazy is that? That is insane. So like even after like Manson is locked up and stuff, the family still like a lot of them continued to do shit if they hadn't already got locked up for the the other murders that they did. Yeah. So like the whole lot of them just were like fucking nuts. Oh, totally. It's an understatement. But yeah, I mean, over the years, I mean, this we're now at like the 40th anniversary of these murders and still like magazines are still publishing about the Manson family and, and the yeah. murders and like he's managed to like stay relevant as, as fucked as that is. Like, mm-hmm. well, in, the story culture, is just so interesting. He's like kind of like a, I hate yeah. to say the word legend, but it's like, well, he's like, kind in, of like a, yeah, he's, well, he's like an icon, like just like, icon. just yeah. like OJ Simpson is though, right. you know, like yeah. a lot of people, bad or Ted people Bundy or something yeah. or Hitler, like a lot of True. bad people become icons, sadly. And you know, that's why you try not to talk about people's names, but like with the stories like this, it's almost like it's so important to talk about people like this, to spread awareness about cults and stuff. Cause people get sucked into this shit easier than you'd think. Like yeah. you wonder like, how the fuck does anyone believe this? Or how do you end up getting something, getting yourself into something like this? And I think it's easier than people realize. And especially if you're manipulated by someone like a Charles Manson type, that's mm-hmm. just so good that you honestly lose control and you just believe everything. Yeah. And it's, it seemed like I'm, I keep saying, oh, I don't know if I could ever do that. But at the same time, I've never been in a position where, you know, I've been repeatedly <laughs> drugged and brainwashed and, yeah, and, you know, my whole world is con- completely controlled by something. Mm-hmm. And I think if I was in that scenario, I think anybody would fall victim to this, you know, cult lifestyle of, mentality. You know, yeah. Mentality of, literally follow the leader is yeah. what it is. Mm. But there's a, I wanted to mention a couple interesting unsolved mysteries slash conspiracy theories surrounding Manson. Um, and one of those is really interesting and that's could Charles Manson have been a product of the MK ultra, uh, project that was going on at the time during all this shit was going on. So it was obviously known that Charles Manson used mind control techniques such as hypnotism, LSD and other Mm -hmm. types of mental programming. Cause how else did he just take all these like average people, you know, well drugs, drugs. Yeah. Well drugs. I don't know how good he was at, but a lot of people say like, could drugs really push people to that point where they would do such heinous, you know, murderous acts. And, and honestly, the drugs push them to do the evil things. That's not, I really hope people don't think that's what I'm saying. Okay. Um, Clarify that. Cause that's what I, got from no 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 i think saying. that's how you control someone like how i was saying earlier like human trafficking guys, victims and i stuff. know i know but you're talking about addictive drugs we're talking about no not addictive drugs. not addictive drugs but they will they're tripping and when you have an altered state i think it would be easier to believe someone or sure, get on okay. board with something like when you're tripping out and if some if he's telling you all these things and you're feeling really good and like maybe saying some really philosophical shit 
and there's a beautiful sunrise and life seems perfect. Maybe he really does know the way, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, I think it was absolutely a tool for sure. I don't know how like good at, at hypnotizing people and stuff he was like, you think, yeah, the drugs, the drugs had a major, part I think that it. was a bigger part than maybe he was, he was probably doing other techniques, of course, well, yeah. but how good was he? Was that the only reason why were they all just hypnotized? No, 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 no. I think and, and mainly the reason it was why, the drug trips. Right. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because this theory focuses on the drugs that he was giving them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that acid makes you go like murder someone either. Right. I really hope people understand what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause that's the he, thing is he it's like, used it in that way. He, he used it to his advantage right. because he was able to get them in a state where your mind is more like open to things like that. Right. Yeah. Totally. To, you know, yeah. you're just altered. You're more receptive to maybe more out there ideas or yeah, yeah just, different versions of reality mm-hmm. really i mean mm-hmm. seeing things through a different perspective or lens is is a good way to describe right. it right and like you know there's doing one drug trip and then there's tripping every fucking day like they were pretty mm-hmm. much yeah constantly that's gonna have an effect on your mind so that's so, what i'm saying with that being said the the way that this theory is is that basically um part of charles manson's own supply of lsd may have come directly from the CIA. Interesting. A new type of LSD known as Orange Sunshine was being used by the Manson family immediately prior to the Tate LaBianco murders, according to family member Charles Tex Watson, who wrote in his prison memoir that it was the use of Orange Sunshine LSD that finally convinced him that Manson's violent apocalyptic vision was real. Yes. And that's what I'm saying. Like exactly. If if you have a good enough LSD or enough, whatever, if you're having a good enough trip, you could believe something is real that may not be real. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it makes you violent. I hope I mean, that's not what you thought no. I was saying or people didn't think that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, don't I think, just want to make sure I don't that believe we, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want to make sure that's not the message we were sending. It's not. Um, no. And again, that like if this is the case, they had some we don't know exactly if this was pure LSD or if it was like some laced. Or, yeah. Who the mixed, fuck knows? I mean, back who then, knows? Man. Yeah. It, right. Yeah. And the amount that they were doing, probably there was some other shit in there. Well, he also said that um, they did a bunch of other psychedelics as well. Mescaline, psilocybin, th- weed, THC, obviously. Um, and uh, text described it that uh, it was like a mental acid that drew stuff out of your mind and the other body acid would be drawing your body. And later when asked about the use of his drugs in the Manson family, text said, people seem to think that Manson had all this drugged out while he remained sober so he could easily manipulate our minds. This may be true, but a sorcerer such as Manson uses mind-altering drugs himself in order to contact spiritual beings and gain supernatural powers. Mm. He did use drugs to manipulate and control us, and the more drugs we took, the easier it was for him to manipulate us exactly. with his philosophy. Right. We all began to reflect his views, a mere image of destruction growing worse every day. We mirrored his lifestyle and attitude towards society, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Mm-hmm. So this orange sunshine LSD was manufactured and distributed exclusively by a group known as the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, who operated out of a beach resort near Los Angeles. The Brotherhood had been among uh, its drug manufacturers and dealers. One Ronald Stark, who is believed to have manufactured 50 million doses of LSD and had known connections to the CIA. That's interesting. 
Because at the time, MK Ultra was experimenting with these types of drugs and doing experiments on people. That's so wild to think. I never heard of this part of it. Yeah. I never knew there was an MK Ultra connection to Charles Manson. That's really interesting. So the theory is like, is it possible that MK Ultra had some responsibility to play in the life of Charles Manson and in these killings and things that his family did? And they're saying that this connection with this orange sun sign LSD, which was confirmed by texts of them getting, and then the guy that got this had a connection to the CIA, supposedly. Wow. So if there's any truth to that, the implications there, I mean, there are probably crazy. Like, is. like there's a lot of, there's a, I've seen things about how the government like leaks, slowly leaks drugs were, like, into the them? system. Oh, they definitely could have been. I feel like they, I feel like, they were not sneaky or smart at all. And even mm. though they were out in these remote places and stuff, I don't like, know I if they were being watched. It's really hard to say. It is. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is a little pushing it for sure. It's interesting to think about it, but I don't know. Maybe. The, I mean, I think it's possible they did get it from the government though, or it was just passed. Like it, that shit just gets out. Like that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean it was like a government operation, yeah, like government agents in a lab crafting like specifically up LSD. getting it for right. Charles Manson. Yeah. Like, no, I think maybe well, we don't know what this guy's yeah. connection was or we don't know. If yeah, that's there's yeah. Like I said, though, they just put it out. They do release drugs yeah. into the system. Yeah. So it's possible. It yeah. Just could have ended up with him. I don't know if it was specifically meant to like get to him, you know? Yeah. And, and what, how would they would know that? that he, and, yeah, yeah. And how would they even know he was doing all this? They stuff have to and, know the future to yeah. do that pretty much. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's just, it's interesting though. This is, speaking of interesting, this is also interesting. So the Manson family was actually linked to an unsolved murder by another bizarre cult. So James Sharp, who's age 15, and Doreen Gall, who's 19, were found murdered in a Los Angeles alleyway on November 7th, 1969, not far from where the Tate LeBianco murders were committed. And like those murders, Sharps and Galls involved extreme overkill, which is a similarity immediately noted by police investigators. I'm assuming just by the, the crime scene and the injuries sustained to the victims. The strangest possible connection to the Mansons though is religious. Both Sharp and Gall were involved with a splinter group of Scientology known as the process church of the final judgment or the quote unquote, the process for short Manson himself was connected to the process Barring some of their ideology for his own cult and maintaining contact with them after his conviction. Whether Sharps or Gall's murders were committed by the Mansons or had anything to do with their religious involvement is unknown, but that case remains unsolved with no apparent motive. Hmm. Another theory that's out there is that the Manson family may have been satanic killers for hire, which I think a lot of people probably would have thought based upon the, the crime scenes, man. So there's a conspiracy theory out there that the Manson cult was part of a nationwide network of Satan worshiping assassins for hire. Wow. This satanic murder network operating primarily in California, New York, and Texas was supposedly behind the son of Sam killings as well as the helter skelter crimes of the Mansons and numerous other murders of the time. Many of them ritualistic in nature. They hired themselves out to drug dealers and other illegal power brokers, getting not just money out of it, but access to lots of sacrificial victims, too. Wow. That's fucking crazy. That is. That's, I, why do I feel like that's like somewhat true that there yeah. could be this type of network out there? Because I don't know, man. I believe, like I said, crazier things have happened. Yeah. Crazier things have happened. 
Another uh, sort of thought theory that's out there is that the Manson family may be responsible for more unsolved murders. And I think it's just like a duh based upon the fact that they found multiple bodies um, near spawn ranch that they identified and experts have long suspected that the cult was responsible for a number of different murders, but most of the suspects are now behind bars and they've only been lightly pursued. Manson, for what it's worth, once bragged to a fellow inmate that his family killed 35 people. Wow. Honestly, I, I think I think they did way more than what they the four. Though, man. Uh, I feel like these guys were like, I don't know. They're a pretty big group, though, man. I know. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. They're a big fucking group. And they were like doing drugs and they're all fucked up. Like they really got away with that many murders. I don't know. I believe maybe a few of them, but like 35, that seems like a yeah. lot. Like, and it doesn't seem like they're really none like of them ever talked about it. They enough. were chatting away in the jail, dude. Yeah. Like, I don't think they were smart, like smart enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the chick the women, left her knife there. No, I don't think they were. I don't think they, yeah, I think that's a good point. I don't think they were smart enough or professional away, enough yeah. in a sense to get away with that many. No, they it was probably just him. Like, you know, puffing his own pipe. Puffing his own pipe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised and, yeah. though if they did, if they were involved with maybe a few other murders, but yeah. I don't know if it's necessarily well, 35. The, the that two seems like a bit of a stretch. Female bodies they found near Spawn Ranch, I think, were definitely. That women. makes sense. I yeah. mean, they were right there. Like, yeah, it makes sense. And they were women, and he would, you know, mm-hmm. seduce and, and take down women all the time. So, yeah, I mean, basically, that's a good streamlined version of the life of Charles Manson and, and the Manson family. I mean, there's so much to this. And, you know, when we went through this and we're researching, it's like we could have did this like two part, three part series on on this because there's just so many details and so many things that we obviously couldn't cover literally everything this episode or it'd be like four hours long but basically this is the the main premise of the story and hopefully it gives you a if you don't know or have never seen charles manson before hopefully it gives you a picture of what he was like and just what a savage he was but also like his impact that he had on on culture and the media and even music like people, you know, musicians like Marilyn Manson and, and yeah. people like that, like draw inspiration from, from him in a sense and kind of so continued wild. on this legacy this cult legacy yeah. in, in a way. So it's, it's really bizarre and he's just a bizarre individual and, and in his later life in prison, he actually like carved a swastika in his freaking yeah. forehead. Was that carved? Carved. So that was like a scabbed over nastiness. Yeah. Ugh, he carved sick. it. What a freak. Yeah, just an absolute savage. And if you want to definitely look him up on YouTube, there's lots of interviews you can watch with him. Oh, it's yeah, just a fucking, for sure. Go watch the interviews. It is like, God, look up him saying that he burned down the school. That's like the funniest clip. It's so yeah. wild. And you're like, how burned did, it down. You're like, how did this guy do all this and, oh, and like go on as long as he did? And well, like we said, he wasn't always that crazy fuck loon in jail. No, you know, no. he was he clearly was different at one point. I mean, these girls that were in it, they, I mean, they weren't like dropped at gorgeous or anything, but they, they were like pretty decent yeah, looking yeah. girls. Like, and they were really into him. And I think, you know, it's hard to say we have no idea what he was like back then. It would have been nice to see more like video footage or something of him back then. Like, you know, but yeah, God, it's just crazy. Yeah. These really cult leaders are so interesting though. And just how they, how they do this stuff and just getting like, how it's so crazy to think about how people end up in cults. Like, like I said, it's easier than I think people realize, but it's still just like, wow, 
I just can't imagine like completely giving myself over to something like that, which I think a lot of people do with a religion in a way. Maybe they're not, they're not in a cult. I'm not saying religions are a cult, but like, you know, in a, in a religion, you are trusting a lot and giving up a lot of, you know, faith. You're having faith in something. Yeah, well, you're giving up free thought. Right. You're giving up a lot you're of choosing free to believe you're choosing something a set of instead beliefs. of just right. b- not believing anything. Right. Yeah. You're accepting a, a yeah. predetermined set of beliefs but to, and morals. And that's and understandable. Whatever. It makes sense. Cause then you go home and you live your own fucking life. Right. But and then if it's positive, then yeah, cult, why not? Like, Oh my God, can you imagine wanting to be in that or wanting to be in Scientology and be like or that audited and braided? Oh my God. I know we've got to do a whole too. podcast on that. I think. Next, yeah. A lot of people want to let us know if you want to see it in the comments, but Nixium. Yeah. A lot yeah, of people even are interested. DeFranco has been talking about that on YouTube, well, which I'm surprised. The, uh, I think it's Allison's smart. I want to, mm. Allison Macker. I forget her I name, know. but oh, she, that sounds better yeah, yeah, yeah. she, Mac. I'm pretty sure right. it's, yeah. I hope we're yeah, right. She just know. got totally fucked for that shit. And yeah, yeah, it's that shit's going down. So yeah, I mean, we'll have to cover that, but yeah, I find all this cold stuff super interesting. And, and because I, I come from, you know, a religious perspective, again, not saying a religion's a cult, but a lot of there's a lot of similarities in, in the ways of getting a large number of people to kind of follow a one purpose or one goal together. And, you know, churches have pastors or priests or, you know, whatever leaders of the church. So in a way, you know, as a member of the church, you are following your pastor to some extent there. You're leading you through this spiritual journey in in a sense. So you could kind of say there's similarity between a pastor and a cult leader in some sense, you know, that they're both leaders and leading people Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of acting as like a messenger or like an in-between, which it seemed like that's what Charles Manson did. I mean, it seemed like he kind of took it to like a even crazier perspective of being able to communicate with like the spiritual realm and stuff. I'm sure he got like crazy with it. Oh, I mean, I'm sure. Imagine what he was like on his drug trips, man. Oh, must've been. Ins- <laughs> he must've gone on just, I want to see him reenact the crucifixion. Like, like, Oh, I'm sure crazy. people, I'm sure they just sat around listening like, to him talk fuck, for dude. so long. I bet he just would be, would fucking ramble. Can you imagine like just, blah, 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 and people are probably like, Whoa, man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That all makes sense. The Beatles are totes talking to us. God, I know what a wild story. Charles motherfucking Manson. Really interesting though. Yeah. Let's, let's know what you guys think about Charles Manson and, um, and any other, uh, if you believe in any of the theories we talked about, let us know about that MK ultra connection. Curse. See what, see what you think about that. I've never really heard about that. That's interesting. Cause yeah, I mean, that would really, really really want to know your guys' thoughts on the whole Nipsey hustle and Dr. Sebi thing that we talked about in the beginning of the episode. I'm just curious what you guys think or what you've heard. Or if there's like something that I just straight up missed that, you know, might help connect the dots a little bit better. Yeah. um, With that whole story. But yeah, I think we'll wrap it up here uh, today, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mahar podcast. And don't forget the audio will be posted on Mondays from now on, but the video will be posted on Wednesdays. Starting so be next sure week. to download it on or subscribe or whatever on like Spotify or iTunes. If yeah, you're just make sure you a follow on, on Spotify if you use Spotify or if, if you want to get it first. Subscribe so you get that audio. Um, and even if you you know get the audio and then watch the YouTube, that's super good. Yes, but uh, <laughs> we'll wrap it up there. Thanks again for listening and watching Mahar podcast. It's been fun. It has as always. But as always, guys. <laughs> We'll see you guys next time. Stay safe. 
Stay woke. <laughs> Bye.